everyone. Welcome to the third episode of Mental Health Musings. It's been a while. It's great to be back. I'm Stephanie Z, she, her, hers, and I am the coordinator of well-being over in the Health Network. I'm really excited for today's topic. Our title of this session is Body Politics, Well-Being at Any Size. We have some awesome guests with us, but first I'd like to turn it over to my amazing co-host, Adam John. Hi, everybody. My name is Adam John Aparicio. Pronouns are he, him, his. I'm the coordinator for diversity and outreach services at CSU Counseling Services, as well as a licensed therapist. So we have two wonderful guests with us today, Dr. Helen Bowden, coordinator of eating disorder services and a senior staff psychologist at CSU Counseling Services, as well as Dr. Adam Sargent, (laughs) um, who is assistant director for group services and a senior staff psychologist in counseling services at CSU. Welcome, y'all. Thanks. It's great to be here. Yeah, wonderful introduction. Appreciate it. Excited to be here. <laughs> and my pronouns are she, hers. Yeah, and I use he, him pronouns. Perfect. So as Stephanie said, today's topic is body politics, well-being at any size. So we're going to jump right into questions. So I wonder if you two could tell us a little bit about your interest in this topic and how does it play out in your work at CSU and the Health Network? Yeah, I've been interested in this topic for a really long time. When I was growing up, I was definitely what we would call back then gender nonconforming. And so it really got me interested in the portrayal of gender in the media. And that got me super interested in body politics and eating disorders. And right now, it's a huge part of my work since I coordinate eating disorder services and lead the eating disorder treatment team. And I also see lots of clients with eating disorders as well as negative body image, which is sadly prevalent. Yeah, and for me, I actually, I like to joke that I was born fat. And so I was sort of born into the identity and born into the political world that is and that exists. So for me, it was a real personal journey that just started off with the shape and size of my body that got me invited into this work, both personally and professionally. I'm so excited because this has been something that I know I have struggled with. And I actually got into a fight with my mom and brother yesterday. We were talking about A1C and stuff like that. And I was like, you know what? I don't really want to talk about it anymore. And I also know with fall break coming up and the winter holiday, that tends to be time when folks body size can change or it can be commented on Mm -hmm. right when you get home so so question for you all is how can body image affect our self-worth or idea of who we are in the world I know for me personally, it's one of the defining characteristics and features that really shaped who I am as a person. It's not possible to see me and not notice my size. And I think that society's got such a strong belief set and such a strong message, even from a really young age, about what that means in terms of your worth, in terms of what that means of where you fit in and sort of the order of things in society. So it's something that was, like I said, really unavoidable for me. And it was a real defining feature kind of like a core primary identity for me. So there was no ignoring it in my own psychology, in my own upbringing, in my own sort of understanding of who I was and how the world sees me. All the way back from being a really little kid, everybody made really sure that I knew that about myself. It was reflected back at me. So in terms of how that influences self-concept, I mean, I think that that's something that for most folks of size... They have to reckon with really early on, and it's typically not a positive journey. Normally, it's one of uh, shame can lead to more introversion, certainly, where people don't get to express themselves maybe as loud or as proud as they would want to be as a human being in this world, Um, just because of the early messages, I think, really shape how we're seen and who we are. Yeah, I would definitely echo that. I appreciate you sharing that story. You know, I think, unfortunately, we have, we grow up with a lot of societal conditions of worth, and a lot of those are, I call them the big three, appearance, people-pleasing, and performance. 
And there's definitely obviously some gender intersectionalities and racial ethnic intersectionalities that impact that. But right now we're in society, which is steeped in fat phobia. We grow up believing that we can only be worthy if we look this particular way, which is you know, thin and for men more muscular. And there's not a lot of portrayal of any type of body image with trans and genderqueer folks either. And so what I've noticed a lot is that because so much emphasis is placed on body image while growing up, we grow with that feeling of shame that you were talking about, Adam, that sense that I am not worthy if and feeling like I have to prove and earn my right to exist even, which really comes up sadly in a lot of medical settings because it's one of those things, especially connected to BMI where it's very moralized. You know, they use this number that was never meant to be used in this way at all to tell someone if they're healthy or quote unhealthy and they feel like they have the right to lecture people and to tell them you need to change your body to be okay. Helen, can you explain what BMI is? Well, BMI, Body Mass Index, was actually developed not by a medical person, but by a mathematician. And he had the belief that the median or the average of a population is the most desired number. And so it was it was originally based, he took measurements of French and Scottish white folks, and that's what he used to base this formula. Mm. And then it was later used for a terrible purposes like eugenics and forced sterilization. I mean, just all kinds of horrible things when it was never meant <laughs> to be anything other than a mathematical exercise. Thank you for explaining that. You know, Adam, in our prep for this conversation, you've talked about using fat as a word. Mm-hmm. Can you um, speak more to this topic of using fat as a word? Yeah, I've definitely evolved in this stance over time. It's not necessarily where I started, but it's definitely where I stand firmly today that I like to refer to myself as fat. And that makes people uncomfortable sometimes. And I get questions about it sometimes of, is that healthy? Is that okay? Is that ideal? And I think a lot of times when we think about identity of how do we refer to ourselves, there should be personal agency and choice behind that. So Mm. when I look in the mirror, I see fat. I feel fat. I feel like everything about me sort of fits into that category of what that definition is. And societally, we say that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily know that I personally agree with that, right? There's been lots of social phenomenons where people work towards taking words back, reclaiming sorts of words or identities or things that might be special or important to them. And I think this would parallel with a lot of those movements. So, for example, I'll hang out with a family friend and a little kid, somebody who's too little to know anything about mm-hmm. politics, might look at me and go, you're fat. This happened to me not too long ago. And, of course, the immediate reaction out of the parents is shame and embarrassment, right? They think that that's a bad thing or mm-hmm. that that's going to hurt my feelings. That's true only within a societal context right. Right. because of what society has said that word means. What I would love to have happened in this scenario, rather than that kid being in trouble or shamed for saying that, is to say, yeah, I am fat. I am. You're short. I'm tall. Like, there's mm-hmm. lots of descriptors of me and the only reason it holds any sort of weight no pun intended is because of what society has said and so I kind of want to reclaim that of there's not this continuum another thing that I hear a lot of times is you're not fat you're beautiful and I think that can Mm -hmm. that can be the same thing those aren't opposing ends of a continuum you can be fat and beautiful at the same time So I think part of the ownership of that term for me is about genuineness. Again, no pun intended, but fat can be an elephant in the room sometimes. You don't name it, you don't talk about it, because we don't know how to talk about it. We're not Mm -hmm. taught that it's kind of an okay thing for there to be difference. We're not taught really how to talk about differences in the room. So it feels powerful for me to sort of be able to name it, label it, own it, share it. That being said, it's not a term that I apply to other people unless it's what suits them and what Mm -hmm. fits for them. Some people like to be referred to as a person of size.
cause. Mm -hmm. I haven't met a whole lot of people that like being referred to as obese, for example. That's a word that gets thrown around in the medical community, mm -hmm. but I have yet to meet people who say that's how I identify. But if inside of you, you get very confused of like, what am I supposed to do with this? What do they want to be known as? What do they want to be referred to as? That's a common thing that I hear people say when they're confused about identity labels. Everybody's different. They aren't a group of people get together and vote on things like this. Everybody <laughs> might have a personal journey and a personal relationship with it. And so I think the best thing you can do is ask yeah. um, what honors you, like how do you refer to yourself as. And I can tell you for me personally, the thing that I feel the least comfortable with is when somebody beats around the bush or dances around it or just doesn't ask directly the more comfort somebody shows with mm. their directness with me makes me feel more safe and secure and comfortable to dialogue with that topic with them I think it's so hard because what you were talking about is the only reason why the family reacts that way and like the guilt and shame is because we have had it drilled into our head because we are in a flamingly fat public society that fat is bad. Even though we all have fat in our bodies, we're all different, but we find all these ways to judge the container of people, say this is bad, this is bad, this is unhealthy. And it's so invalidating of who people are. And I remember when I was doing my PRAC experience, when my coworkers got a birthday card and it had on the cover a fairy and she was a woman of size and the kid goes oh she can't be a fairy and I'm like well why not he goes because she's fat and this kid was five years old mm. and already the kid was like fat is bad and you can't be fun things and you can't be this or that which then leads to folks growing up with so much internalized shame and then they go into different spaces and they have that tiptoeing around and they have comments or it is not commented on and then they get into a medical office for something completely different and they get the talk the talk about weight if you're not in the quote acceptable range and there's so much showing that it's not weight it is actually those very experiences of weight bias and being stigmatized and shame that affects health more that affects stress that affects obviously the way you feel about yourself because if you get these constant messages of rejection, you're not good enough, you need to change, and lots of other way more negative words, it's like, how does a kid growing up with that who happens to be fat feel good about themselves? First of all, thank you for sharing that, Adam. And second, I feel super valid about that the BMI is crap because growing up, always having my number be in the morbidly obese category and having people like pull me aside. I remember one time I took aerobics in high school and it was very clear my number was like not where I didn't want it to be. And the instructor pulled me aside and said, if you want, we can design a special nutrition diet for you. And I just felt so ashamed because it was just me being pulled aside. And I was like, I bust my butt working out in aerobics like I'm always covered in sweat and so you're just like what you're not good enough and I love what you said about when someone states the fact that like I'm fat and I was like no you're pretty I didn't say I was ugly I just said I was fat like right but that's an automatic response right. or if someone comments like yeah I'm pretty big it's like what do you say to that are you supposed to be like no 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 like you're beautiful no matter what right and realizing that it is just a statement of fact and you started mentioning fat phobia, Helen, I'd love for you to talk more about that because I know I struggle with internalized fat phobia and having, even in dating, having people comment, mm. I love your tummy. And I'm like, do you really mean that? And I'm super ashamed. Let me cover it up. Don't look at it. But it's there. It exists. It's a container. Also, what you're saying about a five-year-old, I have like nieces and nephews and parents don't mean to, but the way they even comment about food, they don't say anything about fat or size, but the way they say like, this is healthy, this mm -hmm. isn't, and equating them that not healthy healthy eating equals your fat. Like there's just so much of that. So yeah, if you can just talk to us about the origins of fat phobia, um, maybe just even how it looks, internalized fat phobia, all that stuff. 
it's ironic in the in the sense that only actually until just a few years ago that I found out the true origins of fat phobia. And I've been studying body image and eating disorders my whole life. And the reason why I didn't know the origins of fat phobia is the reason why we don't know a lot of things because history got whitewashed. And so I found out that the origins of fat phobia were actually steeped in the slave trade era. And it was first applied for white folks to try to feel more superior because they looked at brown and black bodies and were like, I don't want to be like that because that is all the negatives they said it was. Was. And then that's when we started to see the first diet. And it was to make the body smaller and to make it look different from this really exaggerated view they had of folks of color. And backdrop always fill in patriarchy and classism and like everything behind that. And so there's such intersectionality now between, you know, when fat folks come in, especially you just add more marginalized identities if they're fat folks of color, then they get even more negatively treated. And there's so much research. It's sad. I remember one number I read in a book when I was in college from Body Wars and it made me so sad. It said, I think it was teenagers they polled, 50% of them said they'd rather be run over by a truck than be fat. Like, what are we talking about? Even healthcare providers, I've been trying to have this talk within health network because medical providers, they grow up being taught the same whitewash curriculum and they don't question it. And so I remember having this conversation with some medical providers about health at every size and getting a lot of resistance. And it's because there's these guidelines that said, if your BMI is within this range, you need to ask them about their weight every visit. And I'm like, that's the very thing that causes shame and that's going to make somebody avoid it. That's the worst possible thing that you can do because that is not the thing that tells you whether someone is, quote, healthy or valid or valuable or anything else. Even with folks that I work with now, we just do not get anything different. Everything is steeped in fat phobia. The medical stuff we learned, the psychology stuff, we didn't learn about this either. Right. Are we making different recommendations based on what container is someone coming in with? I wonder, too, you know, as many of our students are going home for fall break or winter break or whenever they're listening to this, it might be summer break. What are some tips you have for listeners who struggle with holding boundaries with family or friends around their body size? When I talk with clients, I kind of have two categories. I have the boundary and I have the buffering. It really depends on who the family members are and if they're reasonable or if they're toxic, you know, like, and so if somebody has a family that's at least semi-reasonable, they can more directly set the boundary, whether it's their family makes a comment about, oh, going back for seconds or, oh, are you sure you're hungry or something about the body or like, oh, have a little meat on you to be able to say a little more directly, I'd really appreciate it if you didn't make those comments because they make me feel bad. Or you can use humor, sometimes shifting the conversation that way. It really just depends. And also I would tell folks if their family's reasonable to maybe ahead of time talk with them and be like, I would really appreciate it if while I'm there, we don't talk about what I'm eating, my weight, anything like that. Now, if they're less reasonable, we go more to buffering, which could be things like changing the topic. It could be things like, what are some exit strategies using the bathroom or going this, or I have things to work on, schoolwork, that's always a good one. So you can remove yourself from that situation and having someone who can support you if you have that person in your life that you can text about it or call about it and process that because it's really challenging when family members, especially when you have all this history with them or, or saying these things around you that are so incredibly triggering, it ends up making nobody feel good. 
Absolutely. I think for me, in my own sort of treatment and interacting with my family and engaging with people around my own body and my own life, one of the things that's been missed that I love and value, and it could be personal to me, but for anybody who's listening that struggles with this, I want to say some of these things out loud in case it's useful for you too. Just to know that you're not alone and to sort of validate that we live in a pretty toxic culture around this stuff. This strategy, tips, or tricks has to come alongside with validation that it's not going to fix the problem. We live in a fat-phobic culture, and my guess, not that I'm hopeless about the subject, because I do think as a society we slowly improve over time, but my guess is that's not going to not be true in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. So throughout my lifetime, I'm probably going to have to exist in a fat body, in a fat-phobic world, and sort of validate that and sit with some of that reality, that that is sad. Mm -hmm. That should make me angry. That should make me feel bad. That is wrong. I love starting there first. And I don't know that that makes me feel good, but it makes me feel less crazy or less weird or less alone or something like that. We can sort of stay attached and tethered to one another that, you know, we live in a community where this stuff is hard on us. And if we acknowledge how wrong this is and how not okay this is and how pervasive this is and how this is likely to stay true in our lifetimes, it gives us like this platform or this foundation to sort of love ourselves and love each other and sort of recognize reality in a way that's a little less kind of crazy making or like mm. makes us feel less invalidating of our own experience because there's plenty of families that will not change and will right. not respect these boundaries just like Helen's saying like you got to analyze like what sort of family is yours you might be coming from one a group that's not going to change or one that's really reasonable or respectful another thing that can feel really toxic is maybe nobody comments on your body but they maybe they comment on yours or an experience I've had I've mm-hmm. been all different shapes and sizes in my life people can be so excited and so complimentary if your weight changes and it yeah. decreases but then that silence that comes when it increases is so much Mm. louder and so much more painful and so I know there's lots of experiences that are out there when it comes to like how you might engage with family the other thing that happens is maybe nobody says anything to you directly but they talk about their own body or their own experience in a way that feels negative or impacting to you and people struggle to hear that feedback as well so I love the idea of having your people reach Mm -hmm. out to people have support especially if you got somebody in your life that gets it you all know who gets it and who doesn't (laughs) sort of reaching out to them and staying connected especially if you feel isolated on this subject and I love what Helen says about setting limits and boundaries I think that that works really important too. Wow, that silence. When we get reinforced and when we don't. I remember when I was at my highest weight, my mom stopped telling me I looked good when I dressed up. So I would dress up, have my mom be ready to go out, and it was crickets. Whereas when I'm in a smaller body, it was like, oh, you look so good. And like, that's just as painful. Absolutely. Hearing people talk badly about your own bodies growing up totally sets you up. Be like, oh, it's normal to think badly about your body. It's normal, you know, to have this kind of talk and just really contributes to that whole fat phobia and that whole idea that you're not worthy unless your container looks like this. And I'm with you 100%. It's such a long journey and hard work to get to that place where you can feel like I am valuable. I am worthy. I am good no matter what. And that's a long way. Sometimes for people, depending on growing up in trauma, depending on what people have said, because that etches it in so deeply. And, you know, that journey is so worthy, though, towards at least self-acceptance, hopefully self-love. And I love what Sonia Renee Taylor says about that. It's just really stepping into your authentic self and claiming it and, you know, being able to be like, I'm okay, even when people around me are telling me I'm not okay. And that is so hard. I love her. And I love... (laughs) 
that she talks about how the body's not an apology. Right. And I think about, I follow some Instagram profiles that just show essentially like really awful rejections people receive on online dating. And there are some that say like when the person has turned them down, I, I perceive to be female identified and a male identified. The male identified goes, well, you're lucky I talked to you. You're fat, right? So it's like, it's this idea that like you're fat. So therefore you're not allowed to be happy or there's a thing on Snapchat. It's called like love don't judge. And mm. it has these pairings of people and and then they're usually very educational like I'm six feet, you know, my partner's like four feet and people look at us, whatever. But there's some where it's like my partner is like 300 pounds and we get all this comment. It's like, you don't deserve that. And I just think that's so terrible. And I love the buffering boundary because when you were saying all those examples, Helen, I was like, did you come to my house? (laughs) Are you you a fly on my wall? But like, that's how it was growing up. And even yesterday, that conversation I mentioned earlier about talking about like A1C and lab results and stuff, brother called me to follow up just to check in. I said, listen, I know you and your wife are you know you want to do this and I respect that I would just ask if you could just not talk about counting calories if you could not be like oh I already ate 500 and you look at bag of chips or Mm. something because in my head I'm like then don't eat it like you know don't eat and be guilty I was like do it away from me I just don't need that so I've made that pretty clear boundary good for you so anyway I'm just saying sharing that to you all because that's Mm. something that's probably going to happen but oh my god we could talk forever (laughs) and unfortunately we are close to our time so I would just ask for the two of you if you all have any final thoughts on today's topic that you'd want to leave our listeners to maybe wanting more resources etc i think one final thing i'd like to say and not that this soaks in instantly and i am going to steal from sonia renee taylor is your body is not an apology you do not have to make up anything to anyone else you don't have to earn love or food or oxygen. You don't need to prove yourself by bending over backward for people or doing all this extra in relationships to justify that you're worthy of one because you were born worthy and you are worthy for exactly who you are right now. Yeah, the last thing I'll say, I want to speak to shame. I do a lot of thinking and researching around shame as a psychologist, and then shame is such a sort of interwoven Mm -hmm. variable that comes along with fatness. A lot of people that we talk to as counselors come in using a lot of shame, thinking that it might motivate them or benefit them. And so something that we're really used to talking about a lot in the therapy room is that shame actually is a demotivating variable. So if you listen to your inner dialogue and your inner talk when it comes to how you talk about your body or how you think about your body or how you feel about your body you might be really afraid to let go of shaming Mm -hmm. yourself hating yourself being mad at yourself judging yourself like all of these sorts of things research is super clear that actually only harms us and adds more pressure on us that actually takes away our resources to do things that otherwise would be healthy for us or make us happier or contribute to health and happiness so anyway think about that in terms of how you talk to yourself how you think about yourself how you look at yourself what tools you're using in your own toolkit Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you brought that up because I a thousand percent agree. Shame is the most toxic emotion that we can have. And it's like pretty much every client we ever see is at the root of everything. And it's so insidious. And so with that, how we talk to ourselves, the language we use with ourselves, just even pay attention to how often you're using the word should with yourself. Even just try to change that to could. Watch how often you're using always or never or just things that if you said out loud would be abusive towards someone else. Even just being more mindful of that and trying to catch it and edit it. Because I feel like when we grow up, so many other people are writing our stories for us. Society, our parents, fat phobia, you fill in the blank. And that's how we learn beginning who we are. 
And like now we're with this massive manuscript that we have to edit, whether it's a word at a time or a sentence at a time, so we can yank back that pen and finally write our own stories and the chapters ahead. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Helen Bowden and Dr. Adam Sargent for the conversation today and my wonderful co-host, Stephanie Z. Always a pleasure. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks again for listening today and keep an eye out on Spotify for more episodes as well as a survey that we have in the show notes. Thanks again, y'all. Bye. Bye.